If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is Helen Barnes. Helen's a dressage specialist, rider, trainer and coach. She used to have another career and she used to then fit her horses in around her other career. But for the last 11 years, she's been coaching full time and that's the main thing that we need to talk to her about today. How are you, Helen? Good, thank you. Good. Helen, have you got a favourite quote for us? We normally start off just getting to know you a bit with that quote. Um, I suppose there's a couple. Um, one comes from Hans Wenger who wrote um, Horses and Etsy Horses. I really like slow down, I'm in a hurry. Mm-hmm. I feel that often in, well, it's in today's society, but I think sometimes you do see it in the horse industry as well. People do look for quick fixes and pushing horses perhaps quicker than they should be to a certain goal. And I think often if we just take that little bit longer, we actually will get there quicker, but doing it, working more with the horse the other one that I probably one of more a quote of mine, I suppose it may well be somewhere else as well. But one the other one I like is a horse has to seek the contact. We shouldn't actually be asking for it. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that you know, slow down if you're in a hurry. It sort of goes back. And France was very good about getting the the basics established. You know, so yeah. So if you hurry through the grades you've still got to go back, get to a certain level, and you've still got to go back and keep working on your basics. But if you can do them well in the first place, then that's good. Did you have lessons with friends? No, I didn't actually. But I don't know whether you want to go to that later or do you want me to go to that now? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. I was going um, to say that that was the next question anyway. It was about starting to ride. But anyway, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> yep, yep, Okay. So I started to ride at the age of four. Um, my father was a very good horseman. My grandfather was the vet to the, uh, what would now be the Sri Lankan Jockey Club, but he was actually English. So my father started me on the journey, um, and I suppose my first memory of riding is learning to ride ride shot on the bluff at Victor Harbour, which and that's just South Australian, that probably isn't going to mean a lot, but back in those days it had no houses on it. It was just a huge open hill essentially overlooking the sea and I can certainly remember my father going up down up down up down as I was trotting across this over 100 acre paddock um, at the age of four so that's probably my first memory and my first person that actually influenced me on in my career with horses. Mm-hmm. I'd like to mention three other people though one is a lady by the name of Philippa Borg who her and her husband owned Filton Park Stud in Roseworthy in South Australia and I worked with her for a number of years. Um, she's now retired and lives on Bribey Island in Queensland. 
she certainly developed my passion to coach. Mm-hmm. And I'd regularly, when I used to go to all shows with her, we'd often sit in the stands and she'd say, you know, how would you like to change that ride or what would you suggest they did? So she was probably the first person that influenced me to wanting to become a coach. Um, the others were Mary Hovers, who up until very recently was a level three coach educator. I had lessons with her for a number of years in my early 20s, and she certainly was very enthusiastic about me becoming an EA coach back then. More recently, I went to a school a few years ago now with Christoph Hess, and I went in into that school with a view that obviously he was going to be very Germanic, came away with a, a completely different outlook and it sort of reiterated my feeling that we should be riding more with our body and less with our hands. And he had the entire state dressage squad trying to do downward transitions without using their hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So those are probably the three people that have influenced me a lot. Probably the other one that I do refer to as well is Manola Mendez, who I feel that I'm on his page as well. Yep, yep, yeah, that's good. Okay, so you, you talked about going up, down, up, down, and that was your first memories. What about your career? Because you had another career first, and then for the last 11 years you've been coaching full-time. Tell us about how you changed your career. What what influenced you? Because you had horses the whole time, didn't you? Yes. And you used to fit your horses in around your career. Yeah. I've had horses all my life. I think there were about two years when I was finishing my uni degree that I actually did lease my horse out. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, I've always had had horses. horses in varying numbers. Yep. <laughs> and you said earlier that you, you always had a dream to start coaching and to be coaching full time. But What was the crunch? What made you decide then to have a career with horses? Okay, so um, I started coaching in my early 20s because someone felt that I I should do it. Mm -hmm. So I unfortunately did do it unqualified. It was always my passion. Even Mm -hmm. from, certainly from that moment on, I decided that that's what I really wanted to do, help riders to be as good as they could be. And hopefully with that, helped a lot of the of the horse. Well, well, I'm just thinking, because that, that goes back to Philippa too, because if Philippa's there yes. saying, you know, how would you like to change this rider and, and developing your eye, because a coach has got to have their eye developed. It's not just like, I'm going to be a coach now. You've got to learn, you know, what's wrong? What would I like to fix? Where do I need to take this rider? What, what about the horse? Where do I need to take the horse? And you've still got to develop your eye and have the knowledge of the training scale and what to go through to get the horse and the rider to where you want them. So when you're with Philippa, that would have been helping you to start, just to start that coaching, as you said. Oh, definitely, without mm. a shadow of a doubt. And I, no, I'm not saying I'm, you know, going any better than anyone else. However, it was very evident when I started my EA course that most of the people that started with me hadn't really coached. They'd all been riders, mm. but they hadn't actually done much in the way of coaching. And it was probably at that point that I realised how much I'd learned. Now, not just from Philippa, my father as well. I can remember going to the Royal Show as a very young girl and him saying to me, okay, which horse is going to win why? Mm-hmm. So probably most of my life I've had people in my life that have tried to hone my skills as far as being observant to riders and horses. Yep. And I think as a coach, that's probably really the most important skill that you need to develop. Um, as well, you know, not, yeah, it is one of the most important things you need to develop because you can't really help people unless you've got that eye. Yeah, yeah. 
And just because you can ride doesn't necessarily mean you can teach. That's right. That's right. So you talked about your observation skills as a coach. What about just generally working with horses? Do you think that someone having observation skills just with their general work with horses is a good core skill? Oh, I think it's vital Mm. because otherwise you really run the risk of getting hurt. Yep. And I I see that often, and I think when you develop over a life with horses as well, you've got to learn to read them. Yes. And if you don't read them, and they do talk to us, if you don't read what they're saying to us, A, you're putting yourself, can be putting yourself in huge danger. Mm. And it can be something quite subtle that the horse is actually telling us and we're saying, well, the horse, you know, I certainly over the years have heard it, oh, the horse is just being naughty or, you know, whatever. Well, the horse, the horse could be in pain or mm, the saddle mm. might not be sitting. Yep. Or any number of those sort of factors can be the reason why the horse is telling us something. Yep. And I always like to sort of exclude those sort of things before we say, well, okay, now we need to be a little bit firmer and we need to say, well, no, we're actually going to do this. Yep. But more often than not, there's another reason why the horse is telling us something. Yes, yes, they do. They do, and it is subtle. Now, just going back to someone working in the horse career, you know, having a horse career, or if someone was working for you, you want them to have good observation skills. What else do you want them to have? Good observation skills. I want them to be very aware of the danger of working in the horse industry. Certainly, you know, even things like being sun smart, for instance, in our, in our climate, yep. but always wearing appropriate clothing, always wearing boots or at least covered in shoes. People that often are a little bit quieter and will feed back to you. So I, I would prefer to someone, and I try to get this to myself as well, that you might not always be right. Let's just slow down a bit and say, well, what am I looking at here? Mm-hmm. And what should I be doing about this? Safety is always paramount because you can get so badly hurt. Yes, yes, definitely. Is that sort of where you were wanting yeah, to go? Yeah, well, that, I or? think you know, you, you're sort of talking about the person who is aware, but again, you came back to slowing down if you're in a hurry, <laughs> you know, so mm, coming back yeah, to, exactly. to that. Yeah, and I think someone that's aware of safety, but also it sounds like you want them to be willing to listen if you tell them something, but you're willing to discuss things if um so I mean someone's always going to have a different opinion that's how we learn is from people having different opinions yeah and you know and it's relevant to age too you know you can have someone who's half my age that I can certainly still learn from Mm. you know because they might have seen something slightly differently yes yes and I think that's really 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 relevant Mm. yeah I think you've got to safety is paramount you've got to take the time um, certainly with horses and read the horse because if you're stressed or you've had a bad day or you're in a hurry and you go in there with that sort of attitude, the horse is going to pick up on it and you might not necessarily get the outcome you want. Yep, yep. What do you think is the best thing about working in the horse industry? I suppose from from my point of view, well, there's, there's many things. I've, I've, as far as I've got, I'm concerned, I've got the dream job. Um, I've had the privilege of meeting people that I would have never met had I not taken the career change that I took. Mm -hmm. I travel all over South Australia now, primarily north of Adelaide. Um, I go as far west as Sejuna. I'm going there this weekend. 
And I've met people in different lifestyles that have done different things with their horses, and that certainly assisted my learning with horses as well. I love working for myself. I don't just work for myself, though. I, I coach dressage well. I also work for um, bearing clubs, pony clubs, and all mm-hmm. those sorts, and into school and all those sorts of things. I also am the coordinator of the equestrian program at Trinity College in Gawler, um, which is growing significantly. So I've got sort of two roles in my life at the moment. I think it's just being outdoors, meeting people, meeting different horses, learning more about, you know, not just different horses but different breeds and honing your skills on how to help different people with different horses. Yeah, that sounds sounds like a lot of people say that, you know, I don't I don't want to change. I ask them about what they're looking forward to in the future and they say, Oh, pretty much more of the same. I'm happy, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and that's that's my answer to that, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I but, suppose, you know, because I'm not as I used to be either, in the longer term, I suppose I would like to do more work closer to home, Yeah, perhaps not travel so much, but I can't see that stopping in the near future at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you talked about people who've influenced you. What about, have you got a horse or any horses that have influenced you that, you know, that you think have been pivotal in changing your career, influencing you? I think, I suppose, Overall, every horse you ever ride or interact with, mm-hmm. you learn something from every single one of them. Um, sometimes it might be things you think, heavens, I'm not going to do that again. But others influence you more holistically. I did have a big black thoroughbred gilding um, for many years that I did compete quite successfully on. And I suppose the one thing he taught me was you cannot hang on with your hands because he just, you know, you get you'd pick off if you try to hold on to him. Mm, mm. Um, so and that was in my my twenties as well and that, that really told taught me that you there's a better way. Yeah. And he was a grand horse. Not many people liked him or even got on with him, but for some reason or other we just gelled and he was a fantastic horse. Mm. And he did teach me a lot. He had certainly had a very rough life before I'd got him. He was actually given to me and he was just yeah, he was one out of the box. What was his name? His registered name was Harbison. He was actually named after the vet Bill Harbison, who um, saved his life as a horse that was just broken in because the breaker had actually broken his jaw and he got osteomyelitis in his jawbone. Okay. So Bill saved his life and unfortunately he was also the vet that actually had to put him to sleep at 23. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like he had a good life with you though, if he sort of went from breaking in to 23. Yeah. 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 What do you think your proudest moment was? Look, I looked at that question and I thought, I just think they keep on rolling. And I suppose for me now, it's watching clients enjoy their horses at whatever level they might be at, whether it be clients that just want to go out for a trail ride or someone that wants to compete at a national competition, because I do teach um, or coach on all of those levels. And I think it's just watching people on a regular basis enjoy their horses Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Yep. Yeah. Thinking about where you are now, you know, you're working full-time with horses, you're coaching full-time. It's something that you, you know, even when you were younger, you sort of, even though you had another career, you were dreaming about this. What's been the biggest challenges, though, to get to where you are now? I suppose getting your name out there and becoming known because, as I say, I rode a lot when I was younger, but when I broke my back at 28, as much as I still had horses and still rode, my nursing career actually took over. 
and I was still involved and I was still coaching to a lesser degree, but I was probably, people of my era would remember me, but there's a whole group in the middle that wouldn't really have known me too much at all. So when I became a full-time coach, I had to actually get my name out there. And I think the other thing that is, is hard in the industry is the fact that there's not a lot of loyalty and you don't expect people to stay with you forever. That's not where I'm going with that at all. But it can be quite soul-destroying from time to time. And you've got to develop an inward toughness, I suppose, to not let those sort of things bother you. I think that sort of brings us back because, you know, people train as coaches and instructors. You learn how to teach, you develop your skills, you, you know, you do a good job. But it's the business management skills, isn't it? Because, you know, you're saying about getting your name out. Well, there's been a lot of people who don't compete who still got a name, but they've gone and they've marketed been very clever with their marketing. So it's the business management skills. And I think, well, I think there's quite a lot of gaps in coaching, training of coaches. I think certainly managing your own business, you, you need business skills. Unfortunately, mm. um, I've got prior qualifications in that. But I think, yes, managing your own business is a, a skill that certainly, in, to my awareness, is, isn't something that's readily taught. Yep. So, yes, I think all of that sort of thing is, is very relevant. Although in saying that, let's probably backtrack a bit now, um, because I'm actually not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I've not got a website, and yet I'm 12 months in advance. Yep, yep, okay. So it's just when you first started that you were having the trouble yeah. getting going, but now that you're going, you're pretty happy with, with where you are. And, um, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And look, what I did to start with was I would do two or three clinics for free a year mm-hmm. as, you know, to donate whatever profits they made from them to a core organisation. And I still do do that to a degree just for, for clubs that I feel are, are really battling and trying hard but perhaps just need that little bit more money to to purchase you yep. know, a piece of equipment or floodlights or whatever it might be. Do you think that's a good tip for people, you know, to oh, say if you're getting going and you're not getting enough work, go out, do some work for free so that you do get, um, it is a bit of marketing, like, yes, you've got to go the, go the day and work for the day and do it for nothing, but the club's more likely then when they've got a little bit of money to pay you to come back if you're doing a good job and other people are then going to, you know, the word gets out if you do a great job. Mm. Well, I think it's the best thing I ever did. Mm. And I think also as someone in the horse industry, it, it's got to be a give and take. Like obviously, you know, you do. I do need to make a living like everyone else does. However, it can't all be about taking it must be about giving as well and supporting people in the industry. And as I say, I still do do some voluntary stuff in the industry. I certainly managed to move horses, sell horses within my client base. I never charge for that. I do do provide quite a lot of services that I don't charge for because people need support and it's not all about money. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And if you've got your dream job, that's more important than um, yeah. ma- making a lot of money and being unhappy with it. Mm. Well, and I, I just think it helps to maintain your integrity as well. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If people see you actually there to support them in every way you can, Yes, I think it's better for you and it's better for them and, yeah, makes the world go around. Now, I know you're really keen on the partnership with the horse, you know, and you really focus a lot on 
the partnership with the horse within your teaching. What's a common thing that you see people when you first meet them that shows that they're not working in a partnership and how could they improve that so that so that the partnership between the two is better? I think a lot of people aren't really taught how to ride with their body. Um, they do tend to be very hand-driven and that often doesn't go well. Um, just things as simple as, for instance, taking someone for a walk with their eyes closed, leading them and let them follow the horse and get them to just stop the horse by stopping there. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, I, I very rarely ever find anyone who's ever had that done. And realising that often the resistance you get from a horse is because you're holding onto the reins too tightly. Yeah. And it's things like learning to, if you turn your shoulders, the horse is going to turn. Your shoulders have to stay parallel to the horse's shoulders. It's just, yeah, I suppose, yeah, people that have never been really taught to build that partnership and actually read the horse and work with the horse, Mm -hmm. that's what I often see as the major problem. And I'm always surprised how surprised people are that it actually works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So really you're thinking that people should learn to read their horses a bit more and do the work on the ground so then they could understand a bit more once they're on top. Yeah, and, you know, they, well, yes, understand it on the ground, but then have them on the horse and actually mm-hmm. say, well, have a look at what you're achieving by just turning and following yes. and all those sorts of things and be really aware of your body. You know, use your core for your half hooks rather than pulling on a horse's head. Mm-hmm. All those sort of things I find work really well. I do a lot of adjusting the pace within the gate with riders using their core so the horse comes through more from behind. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Now, Helen, have you got a book that you could recommend to our listeners just to complement their training? I suppose I've got three horses that I do like. Mm -hmm. Certainly Franz Moringa's horses are made to be horsed, but I think anything by Sally Swift or Mary Wanless certainly worth worth a Guernsey. Yep. And I suppose for me, I'm not inclined to want to hang my hat on one guru because I think you can – um, gain a lot from everyone. Some people more than others, certainly. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's being open to listening to different things from different people. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's something you said about you know someone who works for you. You want them to be open-minded and be ready to learn. So if you've got that quality in yourself, and encourage your own students to be open and keep learning. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 I remember Philippa. Oh, years ago now saying to me because I was I was really actually the thoroughbred I was telling you about um and uh, he was just he was being naughty and at one point said what would you do go and ride the horse so and I did and I you know it, it worked because he was just having a moment and he just needed to go forward more and then come back and settle down and he was fine so I think you know that is something else I learned from her. You know, sometimes you need to ask the student, well, what would you do? And mm. then perhaps modify that or work with that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Now, you talked before about, you know, you're travelling quite a bit at the moment. You love doing what you're doing. Um, you just like to be travelling less. Is there anything else that you're looking forward to? And then, you know, you've got schools booked for the next 12 months. Anything else you yep. want to include? Um, the other thing I am... Uh, 
I've also been driving for a number of years, as in carriage driving. Oh, okay. Yep. I've been fortunate enough to be given a new forest pony who was actually one of the Australian champion CDE horses. And he's actually been given to me. I'm leasing him to Trinity College as a school horse, but I am planning on actually getting a vehicle that is suitable for his size and expanding my harness driving. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do some harness dressage and probably not, not marathons, but certainly do some obstacles as well. Yep. So I'm interested in carriage driving. I hope to be driving at the Adelaide Royal this year. So, yeah, that's something that I do enjoy. I also judge dressage quite a lot. Um, In the long term, I suppose I I wouldn't mind doing a bit more judging when I'm coaching a bit less. But I'm I'm really happy with what I'm doing at the moment. I'd just like to probably expand it a little bit more and perhaps do a little bit more for me in the horse industry (laughs) as well. That Mm. sounds good. Now, if you can summarise your philosophy... Take it into a few sentences and um, make it into a message, something that our listeners can take away and something they'll remember you by. I think listen to the horse is probably my my main thing. And as I said, from Trans Moringa, slow down, I'm in a hurry. Look at yourself when you're training and riding. Is there something that you're doing that's influencing the horse? Not saying it always is. I do feel, though, that it's perhaps more common than what a lot of people truly do realise that they need to be more aware of what their horse is telling them. Yes. And then and that will build a partnership and they will get far more out of the horse. Even the likes of when you go into the yard to catch your horse, do you automatically always walk up to the horse or do you let the horse come to you? Um, even if it's just one step towards you before you go and catch the horse. Mm-hmm. You need to work as a team with your horse. Yep, yep. That's good. Helen, how can people contact you? Um, my phone number is 0408 834 143 or you can email me at hjbarns, all lowercase, at net. Okay, good. Helen, thanks for talking to us today. Um, been good talking to you. Interested in how you're going with your carriage driving. I sort of want to maybe get you back and talk a little bit about that. But um, I think just some of your tips, some, you know, really good tips, slowing down if you're in a hurry, you know, getting your basics established is a, a really good message to um, to send out as well. So thanks for talking to us today and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Thanks very much, Glennis. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 